Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Victor Devon, burlesque producer and performer hailing from Jersey City. Producer of White Elephant Burlesque, held at Rock Bar New York City every Wednesday at 8.30, Victor chats about his roots in burlesque having been born of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. With Matt, he discusses the origins of White Elephant Burlesque, what it's like to run a weekly show, and what goes into making that a success. He also explains how he produces his performances, where he draws inspiration, and how that affects his craft. And so, from an update on the burlesque scene to how it's changing and evolving, here's presenting Matt Storm and Victor Devon. And welcome to Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is the one and only Victor Devon. Victor, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, so, we first met at last year's Nerdlesque Fest. True. Um, and um, I believe we had an encounter where I'd seen you perform, and then I think you showed up to Beauty Bar maybe in face or not in face? I was in partial face. Partial face. And so, I looked at you, and I'm like... You look familiar. And then Sarah Topps, the wonderful Sarah Topps, was like, this is Victor Devon. You saw him perform the other night. I went, oh, right. Yeah, uh, a lot of times when I am in uh, performance mode, or at least in appearance mode Mm -hmm. for my my red carpet events, uh, I, for those of you who are not familiar with what I look like, I wear a lot of clown white and Mm -hmm. lipstick and eye makeup and eyeshadow and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, Sort of harkening back to sort of a Weimar clown sort of situation. Uh, I'm not an American clown. I don't have a lot of the characteristics that an American clown would have. Right. Um, So a lot of times you'll see me uh, in partial face, which is usually a dramatic eye and some lipstick. So I I believe I went to Beauty Bar like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, have you always performed with with the the clown makeup? Uh, In burlesque, yes. Okay. Um, I come from... Uh, the school of Rocky Har as many cool. I've, I've met many burlesquers mm-hmm. who have uh, Joe Boobs being one of them sure. and um, there have been and, and actually White Elephant the first generation of White Elephant was all Rocky Har and so I played Brad first right and then I moved into Frank mm-hmm. slash Brad because we were a weekly shadow cast and I was a heavily painted Frank. Mm-hmm. Frank is not meant to be as clown white. No. Uh, but it's a thing a lot of amateur Franks do. Oh, sure. And because they see him on screen and he looks pale. Right. But that's, you're, you're taking into account Tim Curry's natural pallor. Yeah. Plus them making him, almost, he's actually almost gray. Yeah. Um, so I was heavy with the white and I didn't powder, so I was probably very shiny. <laughs> I did like the dramatic blocked out eyes and lipstick. And then when I moved out of Frank and I was developing my burlesque persona, it was the easiest thing to point to. Right. Uh, you throw that in a little cabaret MC, mm-hmm. throw in a little Brian Viglione from the Dresden Dolls. <laughs> uh, although, to be fair, <clears throat> I learned about the Dresden Dolls after doing Rocky Horror for substantial times. Oh, wow. So it was actually a look. I, I think actually I was dri- drawn to the Dresden Dolls because their look, look. Yeah. made a lot of sense to me. And I also like the music. Sure. But um, every once in a while, somebody will ask if I was inspired by Brian, Brian Viglione. And indeed, yes. Um, and he's a very sweet man, and I've had the pleasure of working with him a couple times. But uh, no, not directly uh, inspired by that. And so let's talk about White Elephant Burlesque, yeah. um, which is your weekly show, right? You do it every single yeah. week? Well, White Elephant is, is technically two things. It is a production company right. that I own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a... It's, I pay tax on and everything. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah, it's a uh, an S corp. So the uh, proper is White Elephant Burlesque Corporation, which mm-hmm. I can write checks out and stuff like that. And then there is the show itself, um, and that is weekly right now in New York, mm-hmm. um, but has existed for over ten years as a production company that does shows. Very cool. So White Elephant Burlesque at Rock Bar NYC, which is on Christopher Street in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. uh, we have been very blessed to call that our home for the last almost two and a half years. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that's a weekly show. I mean, I don't, 
I, there are some burlesque companies that do weekly shows, but yeah. not a lot. A lot of them are monthly or yeah. bi-weekly. Um, or whenever they can do or it. Or whenever yeah. they can do it. Uh, what yeah. led you to do a weekly show? Is it just what was available? Or <laughs> is it something that you wanted to do? Did you want to do it that often? Well, I am one of those people who, if I could work nightly, I would. Right, sure. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah. But I, I, work, I, I work a good portion of the week. Um, and I'm, when I'm not on stage, I'm developing and producing and doing all of the stuff that doesn't make it onto stage. Right. Uh, there's a lot of that and uh, promotion and all of that as well. So really what it, what it all came down to is I have a housemate uh, who at the time we were both watching American Horror Story mm-hmm. on FX and that was the year that they were doing the freak show right. season mm-hmm. and which coincidentally there are some burlesque people in that yes. series including Matt Fraser. yep um, and we went to Rock Bar on my housemate's suggestion because they were having a live viewing of it oh and, cool and my immediate thought was I don't want to go to a gay bar <laughs> on a Wednesday night to watch American Horror Story Freak Show they're not going to know when to shut up <laughs> they're not going to know because that's a show I wanted to watch sure yeah um, especially since it was earlier in the season and Anyone who is a fan who is realistic with themselves knows that American Horror Story is really good in the beginning yeah. when they're establishing things. And so we went, and I sort of bared and grinned it. And then I realized, no, this audience is here for this. Yeah. And they're shutting up. They're watching. And they're into it. And they're cheering when they're supposed to. And they're ooing when they're supposed <laughs> to. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I noticed that there was a stage. Uh, and not a large stage, but a stage that was large enough to have a drum set on there. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, I've worked in, all over New York at this point, and so I'm used to working on smaller stages if necessary. And that's, that was pretty big for some stages. And I, we struck up a conversation with Jason behind the bar, and I said, hey, if you ever want to do shows, <clears throat> I know somebody who could do them. And I pointed at myself. <laughs> and he said, well, what kind? And I said, oh, it's burlesque. And I, I, I said, I've been working at that point for, oh, God, more than eight years, I guess, wow. at that point. And then... He said, okay, well, I'll talk to the owner. And within two days, I was downstairs in the uh, office, and we were talking, and the owner, Eric, uh, offered me a weekly. That's awesome. And I was like, oh, okay. I had maybe <laughs> I had maybe anticipated they would say, you get one. Right. Or, at most, a monthly. Right, sure. Um, That's how a lot of venues usually yeah. start you out. Well, they, I mean... Uh, I don't know what made them... I mean, I have a feeling that they sort of figured, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Right. It's a bar show. I mean, it's a good bar show. Sure. But a lot... Since a lot of their um, past experience were with drag, drag shows come and go all the time. Sure. Because scheduling changes, and even though... Uh, queens are, are, they have fans that, that follow them to location to location. It's not quite as stringent a schedule. Um, so I mean, they, they probably figured, oh, this will be the most structured show and very, but still fairly loose. I don't think they realized how, how, uh, organized I am. (laughs) Uh, I say organized, but I, I, I am a bit obsessive. Because uh, I, I care about it. I care about yeah, it a lot. Yeah, sure, of course, yeah. Uh, they originally asked us to do Mondays because uh-huh. they still had Horror Story. But then when it looked like we weren't going to go on until after Horror Story had ended, which at that point would have been January, Wow. they said, because this was all, I guess, November. Right, we were sure. this conversation. <clears throat> and they said, actually, we're going to move you to Wednesdays because now we have a hole in our schedule. We don't have Horror Story. Right. And they didn't know, since they're, they're a gay bar, they didn't know when RuPaul's Drag Race was going to start. That is on Mondays. Sure. Well, was. Was. At the time, now it's on Fridays. Who knows where it'll be in the future. But they needed to fill that block. And so they, they moved us to Wednesdays. I was a little hesitant. Um, but I was very glad to have the people that I was working with regularly. Yeah. I mean, my first show... At Rock Bar was Femme Appeal and Lucky Charming and Johnny Panic. and So just the best of New York. <clears throat> just the best of New York. And yeah. then I brought in people from New Jersey that, honestly, in my estimation, still don't get enough shine. Right. But I want to see them work, and I enjoy working with them. And that includes um, Esmeralda May. Oh, she's uh, wonderful. Halloween. Yep. And Regina Stargazer, who mm-hmm. now doubles up as a drag queen under the name Cream Victoria. Oh, cool. So... This was, and then the second week I had I had more, and then I, basically, if I could create a show every week, I was going to be happy because I kind of like 
the construction process. Sure. So you'd say you like the production aspect of it as much as the performance? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot to it. There's figuring out dynamics. Right. There's some performers who will be better served working with other specific performers. There's sure. some performers who are so eclectic in their performance styles that I get to decide or work with them to decide what act they'll do one week mm -hmm. when somebody else would do something very specific. So if somebody's doing feathers in a fan dance, then do I, I don't want to make sure that I have yet another one. If right. someone's doing nerdlesque, I want to make sure that if we do another nerdlesque that it um, isn't too much of the same. Like right. I don't want to book two Batman villains in the same show right. unless I'm going for that. Like, unless I wanna, you're doing a Batman now. Yeah. I've seen shows, um, and a lot of them are fairly regular, that are were at one point, where the sh the casting seems sort of slapdash, right? Like whoever um, they can get, whoever at the they time. can get, and I mean, and that's the hustle. That's yeah, how it is. Sure. Um, and there are many shows that are very successful because you never know who you're going to see or sure. what they're going to do. I am perhaps this is probably one more reason I refer to myself as a director mm -hmm. rather than strictly a producer. Okay. Because I do consider myself also a curator and, and person who puts those shows together. That also becomes uh, a facet of how White Elephant began, which was more troop-oriented. Right. Yeah. And so you mentioned <clears throat> earlier when we were talking about your origins at Rock Bar that you had already been performing for eight years. So how long yeah. have you been performing now, as of now? Well, I've been performing more than ten years. Wow, um, that's great. That's a, really as a cool. Former. Uh, if I count Rocky Horror, which I might as well, um, I started Rocky Horror in 2001. So that's that's weekly performance. Yeah. That also is, uh, I had a, a bit of a, a managerial role. I, I worked with people on uh, character development mm -hmm. for their for their personas. Yep. Um, I was never huge on worrying about costumes. That was going to be somebody else's department for them to figure out. Right. I wanted to make sure that if you're playing Columbia and you're on stage, that you're going to actually do something with that character. Right. Because I know we're we're fighting with a movie, right? And little Nell is gonna beat you every time, <laughs> of course, because she's twenty feet tall. Yeah, for one thing. Yeah. Uh, also, she's iconic. So you want to get, and eventually, like we, like our our personas in Rocky Horror, our cast members would get like their own little fan clubs. Yeah. They're like, oh, oh who's sure. playing Frank tonight? Oh, it's this person. Oh, it's, that's so cool. Like, and there were there were pairings. People shipped this Brad and this Janet. <laughs> like, it was it was pretty neat. That's and, really awesome. And at 19, that's exactly the kind of validation that you need. Oh, for sure. So, <clears throat> when I started doing uh, Burlesque, I saw the parallels immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not the first person I've met who has those parallels. I'm curious, now that yeah. you've worked with Rocky Horror, I mean, you're wearing a Rocky Horror shirt I am, as actually. we speak. I'm wearing um, the Rocky Horror Broadway cast. And as that is one of my favorite musicals, um, did you ever get sick of it doing all those shows? Did it ever wear on you enjoying the movie like you used to? Or No. That's very strange because I, yeah. I figured... I feel like usually when someone's doing the same thing over and over again, eventually... Yeah. Like... The film, no. I mean, I don't watch the film as often as I used to. Sure. Um, mostly because I don't really have the time to. And I there's... Technology is at a point where I can literally watch almost anything yeah. at any time. So I, I'm behind on so many series. And, oh, me too. And things. Yeah, it's impossible. They're to like, oh, have you watched? That. No, I really no, haven't. I haven't. Whatever it is, I haven't. I watched. I watched Westworld after it had ended, like I months have yet and months. to get to it. So there's there's like a billion things, <laughs> and and a lot. Well, also because I'm performing and I'm working and right. I have a billion other things. Sometimes I just want to sit down and watch The Simpsons, Frasier, or The Golden Girls because I can quote them frontwards and backwards. I don't want to think. That's that. That's good to know. As a fellow, I'm mean, a fan of all three, but I happen to love the Frasier TV show. Yes. I got to meet um, David Hyde Pierce years oh, and nice. years ago. I saw him in Spam a lot. Oh, nice. And he was nice. delightful. He was wonderful. Um, but uh, but those are good staple shows to yeah. go back to. But I mean, in terms of in terms of um, seeing Rocky Horror at uh -huh. times, no. I mean, I am one of those people who, who loves um, very passionately his fandoms. Yeah. Uh, even if their fandoms are very specific. Sure. Like, I like Batman, but I like a very specific element of Batman. There's a lot to draw from with Batman. Yeah. My Batman, for me, is going to include the Tim Burton films. Sure. Is going to include Death in the Family. Is going to include the animated series. Of course. So, to me, those are those totems that are always going to be yep. representative of Batman. It doesn't necessarily mean that I think less or highly or, or whatever of, of the other elements. Right. 
but like the killing joke doesn't resonate with me sure almost at all because it, it wasn't something that I was into at yeah. a certain point and watching the film now gave me no pleasure. I mean, the film wasn't well made anyway, right. which is right. part of it. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned those versions of Batman, because I mean, for me, like Mark Hamill, while a lot of people laud my, Mark Hamill for Star Wars, he will yeah. always be the Joker to me. I think you can love him for multiple things. Yeah. It's the same thing with Tim Curry. Yeah. I mean, my favorite film, even though I, I played him, or played a character that he played um, a lot, yeah. my favorite film is Clue. Yeah, which is, which how is I first incredible. Met Tim Kim Curry in in film. Yeah, that's one of the more incredible films to me, especially comedies mm-hmm. with the multiple endings. Yeah. If I could find a way to make some kind of stage show based on that, or like, and like rumors of them remaking it makes me so angry because yeah. it would not work again because it's that, not the see, same I don't, thing. I don't get mad at remakes, and this was that was a very tenuous subject even with Rocky Horror because uh-huh. last Halloween they yeah, did remake it. They did uh, to. Um, Varying success. Varying. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't get mad. Like I really didn't get mad. And I actually, I'm, I'm going to see in a couple of weeks. This will already have, it'll ever already have happened by the time this, this airs. But uh, me and one of my very close friends are going to see Clue, the stage musical, at the Bucks Ooh, County Playhouse. That's amazing. Like next week. So that's awesome. There are, and you know, do you know who's playing Mrs. Peacock? Who? Sally Struthers. What? I know. I, I mean, when I saw you this, can't I, make like, that shit I up. can, and I was so excited. So I was like, okay, even if it's okay, even if it's terrible. Yeah. It will still be amazing. Yeah, of course. And if it's amazing, so much the better. Yeah. But, I mean, especially, I mean, when it comes to, to Rocky, which is almost herald for being a bad movie. Yeah, finger um, quotes, bad movie. Yeah, and I don't like that, because I don't actually think it's a bad Me movie. Me neither. I love the music I, from that I actually movie. like it straight. Like, yeah. I like it. I love the music. I love the film. I learned about Rocky Horror through a 1995, I want to say, uh, Fox Television Network airing of it. That's probably how I saw it, too. Where they went back and forth yeah. with some of the live performances on Shadowcast, and yeah. I didn't know what the hell was happening. All I was realizing was every once in a while they were going to cut away from a, a scene and show somebody in the audience watching. I didn't get it. Like, I yeah. didn't understand it. But I knew I liked the movie. Right. And at that point, it was harder to come by yeah. because it was one of those films that Fox spent a, took, a real, took a really long time allowing to be on home yeah. video. For sure. Uh, because they were afraid it was going to hurt box office sales. Right. After putting no time or money or energy into it, they were suddenly <laughs> afraid that they were going to lose their golden goose. So when I eventually saw I got the 1998 special edition, mm-hmm. one, the VHS that had Once in a While and Superheroes as bonus scenes at Ooh. the very end. Um, it wasn't even included. Like, it wasn't even, yeah. they didn't even do it. How it, was it. it was just cut. just added. Yeah, it was just added, added yeah. Um, and I was finally able to watch it on a regular basis. And, like, I don't, I don't get it as a bad movie. I get it as an, as a... A film that I can understand if you don't like, yeah, because it is a very specific taste. Mm-hmm. One, one might, but then again, I don't consider. I don't even know anybody who likes other cult movies like John Waters, that are also notoriously low budget. Yeah, that have questionable taste in who they hire as yeah. their actors. I don't know a whole lot of people who love those movies and still also call them bad. Right. And and I don't know anybody who would also refer to a lot of movies that they spend that much time on. Like I don't, I didn't get it. And I think one thing that I didn't love about Rocky Horror that eventually uh, that led to me leaving it yeah. was not the film. It was never the film. The film never let me down. It was what was going on in cast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was that was interpersonal relationships. I mean, we were all we were a, a wide range of ages. Mm-hmm. There were. 19-year-olds all the way up to 35-year-olds, and that is not different for me now. Right. I mean, my 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 19 to 35-year-old ratio is a little different because most <laughs> everyone I know is over 21 because I'm right. in bars. But it's really sort of the same, and I know people significantly older who are my colleagues. Right, of course. But being 19 with those people who that's all they, that's all they hung out with, all they knew, and they didn't have any life outside of it, it created tension, and there was dating of and course. breaking up. Of course. And and um, are you saying a wide range of casts and 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 sexual orientation? Oh and, yeah. And and, well, and, actually, and it's funny you should mention that because obviously Rocky Horror is um, a queer film, right? And is a, a sort of a queer media, and even Richard O'Brien, who created it, has sort of 
woven th- himself on the spectrum. Yeah. I think he's identified as a couple different things over the course of the last couple decades. And my cast was not very queer. Okay. Um, almost all of the women were, were bisexual or mm-hmm. are bisexual. Almost all of the men were heterosexual. Oh, wow. <clears throat> or at the very most heteroflexible. Right. Like most of them were comfortable doing the Brad and Frank scenes on stage. Right. And they would go all out, but off stage it wasn't their thing. And that right. was cool. And then there were a few homophobic people who for some reason still needed to do that show. And that that's sort of, bizarre to me. It absolutely is. But and that may mean that they were dealing with something on their own. They may have been dealing with it. I mean, also, the show, the movie itself, while it is queer-friendly, there's a lot of heterosexuality in it. Of course. So you can still, if you're a Rocky, and you don't like the fact that Frank is preening around you, you still get all that time with Janet. Yeah, that's true. And really, honestly, even with the exception of a few very specific moments, Rocky doesn't have all that much physical with Frank. Yeah. So so that, yeah, that happens. Yeah. Uh, There was a few queer people... But they weren't um, they weren't uh, very reflective, I thought, of yeah. uh, of what most people would probably assume the Rocky Horror experience to be, which it, is sort of queer and debaucherous. And all sure, that. of course. I mean, but it doesn't surprise me that with a wide <clears throat> range of ages, at least, that yeah. people were kind of all over the place and there was yeah. some semblance of drama. I mean, we're all, you know, yeah. that always tends to happen. I, absolutely. And it certainly was my boot camp for burlesque. Because I love burlesque and I love every element of it, but there are absolutely people who don't work with other people or have it's it's it's, it's an incestuous industry. Yeah, there are people who have uh, dated and married and divorced and then dated, and have uh, and some work will work with them very well and some of them won't. Yeah, it's it's a very I mean I, I've spoken to some people who have done Ren Fair and it's the same thing. I've spoken yeah. to people who did marching band, it's the same thing. My wife Drama is class, Ren Fair, yeah. I mean, I wish I could say it was a new experience, but no, no. The, we're all the same. We're all we're all of our niches. Yeah. all have that in common. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had we've had conversations with other performers recently about, and it's funny. What's interesting to me is you can tell who kind of has their shit together versus those who kind of just have no filter at least Mm -hmm. because you know there's some people who you're like oh I know those two people don't get along it's well known like nobody likes that person and then there are some performers where I'll talk to and I'll mention another performer and they'll go oh I don't like them and I'll go Really? And they go, yeah, but whatever. I yeah. Mean. And so it's always interesting to see that. And I don't know that necessarily one is right or wrong, but it's definitely interesting to see how people deal with those situations. Well, I think for a lot of a lot of burlesquers who who perform, and I've spoken to many of them and I've worked with many of them, to them and sometimes to me, we see all of the stuff backstage yeah. and that will carry on to what we put on on stage. For sure. And so that will also color how we view things. And the general purpose audience, uh, whatever that may be, um, won't know that. Yeah. Or won't see that. And we see... So it's interesting. It's almost like we see an extra nuance to their performance that if the audience doesn't know, it's sort of like we have like a little secret. Right. Uh, we know why they picked that song. We know what they're going through in their personal life to deal with this performance art piece. Right. Um, there are some there's some very fantastic artists um, who have been through some severe traumas yeah. and will use their craft to perform. Yeah. And then there are some who will say, no, when I put on my gown and gloves... I am not that person. Yeah. And I am not that person who did, who had this problem in college. I am not that person who was having this argument with their spouse or yeah. this problem with their parents, and they leave it at that. Yeah. And no one's wrong. Sure. I mean, you could say this was also true of, of actors yeah, in film. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I mean, there are people who won't go see a Tom Cruise movie or a Julia Roberts movie because they can't see beyond those faces. Right. Like they can't. Like, a Meryl Streep is considered the greatest living actress, more or less undisputed. Right. But I just had a conversation with a performer um, who were like, oh, I can't watch anything with her anymore because I can't not see Meryl. And to me, I'm like, okay. Okay. But, okay. but it's Meryl. I know. I mean, well, yeah, I don't get it. But you mean, you, you insert <laughs> sure. Meryl with any other of any other name and I, would, yeah. I mean, I might agree with you. Yeah. Like, I, there are actors that I don't care for that I, it probably is because I find them annoying as... Whoever. Whoever they are. Yeah, for sure. So... Well, I think it's interesting learning also in the burlesque industry, and I'm sure you went through this also. It's just 
understanding how the industry goes. You know, yeah. I had an interesting conversation with with uh, a fancy feast that made me think recently. Like I talked about safe space and how mm-hmm. it's important. Like if I'm hosting a show or if I'm DJing in a show, I want to treat everyone with respect. I want to make it feel like a safe space. And fancy's like, there's no such thing as a safe space. You can make it as safe as you want, but ultimately, people are exposing themselves. People are putting themselves out there. It's never 100% safe, and that's not something I really thought of. But it's, yeah. I would, I would say it's true, and it's interesting to me because it is a very vulnerable industry, which is why I think I gravitated towards it because I'm an emotional person and I like the kind of give and take you get from that kind of a performance. Yeah, it, it is interesting because it is a very vulnerable position, but it's a vulnerable position that we all signed on for. Right, and you can also be very empowered by it as well. <clears throat> right, well, I mean, you can, be, you can be a band or a musician and travel to location to location and have varying degrees of... Uh, safety right. or staged environment or what have you, and that will probably um, affect how you work as an artist, right. even in that one night. Yep. As as burlesque performers, I think a lot of times <clears throat> we are encouraged to sort of grin and bear it because that's right. just how it is. Right. Um, and then you also have to. I mean, even even in New York and the surrounding areas. I mean, I live in New Jersey right. myself, and burlesque in New Jersey, while it exists, it does not exist on the level that it exists in New York. For sure. It can't. No, New yeah. York is on top of itself. Yeah. There are seven shows a night, Yeah, and you can go to most of them yeah. if, they're, if they're staggered right. Um, in New Jersey, we're all separated by concrete and highways. Yeah. It's a commitment yeah. to go to one location, yeah. and you're there for the night. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the it. thing you do. And and that makes that that's a little harder to promote and to do. Um, in terms of safety, I am um, a major proponent of protecting people. For sure. And wanting people to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one of my, my major anxieties is that I am making somebody uncomfortable. Um, or that I'm boring them. <clears throat> or that I am... <laughs> otherwise out of touch right. with what is going on and so as but again i can only do so much because as a producer director and host i'm very busy yeah and what i can do is i can make people feel as safe as they can in the dressing room right and i can make people feel as comfortable as they are in my casting right and i can make sure that i'm not an asshole on the microphone yeah and where I make anybody uncomfortable as best I can. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some people who go into their jobs where they where they go in for the sport of making people uncomfortable. Right. That's just not how I operate. Sure. No, I can, and I can totally relate to that. I mean, I'm someone who, as a straight presenting male person in the burlesque <laughs> industry, you know, I am bi, but I'm married to a woman. Right. And so I present very straight because also it's just kind of, the the way I feel mm-hmm. like people view me, um, I never wanted to walk backstage where it's predominantly women and seem like someone who's leering or right. someone who's like I I want I always want pe- someone to feel comfortable, especially right. since I didn't start performing. And though I have taken my clothes off or dressed down at least mm-hmm. for shows, I'm not a performer, and so I don't want anyone to ever feel yeah. uncomfortable. I want them to feel that I'm there to do my job, I'm there to support them, and that's it. And, you know, I think I was hyper aware of that for the same reason. Like, I would hate to make someone uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable. If I found out that I had made someone uncomfortable at a show, I would feel terrible. That's not what I set out to do. Yeah. I mean, and I think think also because burlesque basically uh, tells the audience that they have to be okay with what's about to happen. Right. Um... We are at a very interesting point in history where we are very cognizant of uh, homophobia and racism yes. and fat phobia yes. and sexism and all these other all these other um, <clears throat> things that make our our, our culture um, difficult to yes. live in. But when we have a show that represents all of those that has women yeah. that has. Uh, trans performers, that has people of size, that has people of different gender and sexual expressions, Mm -hmm. the audience, depending on your show, I mean, my show is all of those things. Right, of course. A lot of time in one night. Yeah. The audience has to go for the ride. Right. Because you may not like every crayon in the box, but the box is there, and you're going to get all the crayons. Right. To, To that end, several shows 
paint with one or paint with one crayon. I draw with one, one crayon. crayon. Yeah, sure. And because it's easier that way. Right. Um, it is. It is going to be easier on the crowd. And then there are some shows where it is their goal to. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, of course. Assuming, that are that are encouraged to fuck with the audience as much as possible. Sure. By not only painting with as many crayons as possible, but intentionally avoiding colors that go together. Right. And that will bring you to a lot of the more performance art shows. Yep. Um, the box, I yeah. believe, is notorious for, for that. For sure, yeah. Um, it's sort of pushing. Yeah. Uh, and there are some performers who it's they're going through their own catharsis on stage, um, but at, at that same time, we're also entertainers. Right, of course. Well, not necessarily, of course. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of people who I mean, as a drag queen, I believe that most of that most of us look at them as entertainers. Right. Well that's while, true. While while most of them have whatever baggage or whatever shit that they're dealing with infused into their art or into right. their work. I don't know if a lot of people, and I think it's to their detriment, think of drag as an art form. Mm. I think we're at a point where we might be more receptive to that. Right. But I think a lot of times they're treated more like jukebox clowns. Yeah. And I think that's screwed up. And I, agree. I like to um, avoid that as often as I can. To that end, you also have <clears throat> burlesque performers who have whatever crises or dramas or or situations that have colored their lives and colored their performance style. And sometimes we we have we have this weird uh, choice if we're going to go full rainbows and happiness <laughs> or if we're going to let things get really, really dark or mm -hmm. infuse the two. Um, there are some artists that are very successful at that, yeah. that are very successful at talking about social commentary and talking about the world at large. Yeah. And then there are others who would rather avoid it because they want to treat this as escapism. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough world. It, it is. It, it's, it's sort of scary. I think... My 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 focus is to make sure that if I'm casting a show, I would rather it have the content that has a bunch of it. Yeah, has a bunch a of variety. It. Yeah, I mean, if it's a very specific themed show, sure. Um, then then maybe not, but even maybe then because yeah. um we have a Star Wars show, uh for May the third, uh last year was May the fourth, and <clears throat> all of the. The Rebel Alliance and political commentary and all of this stuff just <laughs> yeah. sort of loomed. Of course. And looking at how, where we were last May versus where we are this May is sort of staggering. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it'll probably color the show for absolutely. sure. Yeah, there's no way for it to absolutely. not. And that's the thing. That's You can't be necessarily responsible for how an audience is going to respond to it based on their own experience. Of course. Which is why there's a lot of also conversations about trigger warnings and a lot of conversations about acts that go in a direction that may make people uncomfortable. Um, I believe in being responsible and mm -hmm. being respectful, but if someone is going to do an act that is about, say, police brutality, mm -hmm. and they're doing it because either they have they are part of a culture or part of a, a collective that experiences that on a regular basis, mm -hmm. then who the hell are you to tell them not to do that? Exactly. If you're doing it just to, if, if you're doing an act that has, that you can identify with, I think the audience is smart enough to see right through you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have several acts that, that are on the more dramatic side that are inspired by particular darkness that I may have gone through. Uh -huh. And I like to think that I come off as genuine. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen acts from people and I'm like, I just either, I don't believe that that necessarily happened to you uh -huh. to, to a degree of what, where I'm seeing it as a good, or you're not ready to process that as art yet. Right. Because you're not conveying you're not, what you're, I need to You're connect. too close to it. It's right. too raw. And I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that, and I think that's also true of of other medium. I think some Absolutely. some singers can't talk about a certain topic because they don't know anything about it, or it's it's like those some some songs are very corny and anthemic because and they're sort of about the struggle. And I'm like, I don't believe you struggled for anything. Well, yeah. Well, it's like the, uh, the reason I always said Nickelback was bad was not because they're not even good musicians, because <clears throat> they're passable musicians, mm. because. They're singing about stuff that I don't think they've ever experienced ever. Because I, they're, they're what they're doing is they're looking at the list of, th of points to make. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They're hitting yeah. a checklist. Um, well, let's let's talk about your performances specifically. Because sure, sure. the most recent performance I remember seeing of yours was at uh, Bunny Buxom's Britney Spears show. Yes. A tribute to Britney when Spears. When you think of Britney Spears, you automatically.
automatically think of me. I of know, course, absolutely. You know? But I want to talk about that act because a lot. Some of the acts were very much on the nose about Britney. Yeah. But yours wasn't. Yours. No. Yours had a song that was by Britney, mm -hmm. but beyond that, it was. Something else completely. First of all, watching you perform, I think my favorite thing about watching you perform and why I think I loved your Kefka act so much, which uh -huh. is the first act I ever saw, is because of how expressive your face is. When you're performing, you're very expressive. Some performers, the focus is not on their face. They're mm -hmm. focusing elsewhere. And not to say that that's not the case with you, but you're, you're a very expressive performer, and I mm -hmm. think that translates so well when you're doing, especially a dramatic act like that, Britney, act was where did that act come from was it inspired by the song or is it from something else uh well i mean just to to uh to comment on your on your idea of facial expression sure uh, i have a theory uh that i usually call victor's rule of three and it's not <laughs> it is not anything that is particularly that i can claim as my own um but i have never heard anybody else say it so i'll, right. I'll say it's my rule um in my theory as a burlesque performer either in totality or at least very frequently will come to their burlesque creation in one of three disciplines. Okay. They will approach it as a model, as yeah. a dancer, or as an actor. Sure. None of those paths are wrong. None of them are right. There are shitty dancers. There are shitty actors. There are <laughs> shitty models. And there are some who do all of those things. All of them, yeah. Um, and I and I I like to think of myself as pretty as pretty insightful as to as into deciding or into interpreting what performers are which of those. Right. Um, I have had a few performers who have asked me after they've heard my theories <laughs> and have either been very happy with that answer or have not, not been. Yeah. But then I, I try to explain. I have one friend who, and I won't, I won't say their name in case they, they didn't like it, um, <laughs> where they asked me and I knew what answer they wanted me to give. They wanted me to say actor because they spent a lot of time on their characterization. And I said, that's great and all, and I see it, and you're not wrong, but I also know that everything that you do and the way that you construct your costumes, it is so choreographed that you don't improvise. Yeah. You do your act as, exactly as you planned it with such precision. Right. That that's choreography. That's dance. Yeah. Even if you don't see it in your feet, that's still where I think you're coming from. And yes, that's part of the characterization. That's part of creating that character. Sure. But it's almost that you chose to develop that character with that choreography. How, how does this character move? So, uh, and then I know some performers who they have a general game plan what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. But they're just gonna. They have a list of ten things and hope they do eight of them. <laughs> so. Um, and that, and again, there's no right or wrong. It's whether you're good at it, or yeah. rather effective. Now, I come from acting. Right. Uh, I have always felt like an actor uh, to the degree of when I was a child, I actually thought there may have been something wrong with me because <laughs> I acted as if there were cameras. Not that I thought that they were watching and I was somehow afraid. Is that the way I would present myself is something that I've, I've now been able to associate with immersive theater. It's almost like yeah. I view myself being looked at or watched at 360, and it, it informs how I wash dishes, or clean things, or eat, or talk. And it's so pretentious and so <laughs> self-involved. And it's so, yeah, it's so full of myself. And it's not something that I really love doing. Um, a lot of times, and the way I'm speaking right now, I try to be as articulate as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, this comes from uh, mumbling in my youth. And if I mumble, typically I'm upset about something. Mm, okay. Or I'm very tired or I'm very drunk or there's some <laughs> other element that right. is something else that. is going on. But for the most part, I actually speak very particularly in the way yeah. I'm, I'm talking. And that's partially because when I grew up, I wanted to be asked things. Right. I wanted to be interviewed. Um, I, I had this sort of behavior. And so I'm very aware. I'm not saying I'm always um, successful at it, but I'm very aware at how I am moving and gesturing and articulating and all of that. So when I'm on stage, if I'm on, if I'm really on, then... I am telling a story with my movements or my body or my face. Yeah. And I try to be as very clear about that yeah. as I can. And I don't have a whole lot of features on my face once I paint it. Right. Um, I have my eyes and I have my eyebrows. Usually I have my uh, usually my eyebrows are covered. Right. Because I do uh, either a high arch uh, eyeshadow 
inspired by Frank and Fire. Right. Um, or I white it out and I just do around the eye. Um, I have my lips and I know I have I have a good mouth for that. I have good I have good um good Victor mouth. <laughs> um, and then I have my limbs and I've never been very I've never loved my body. Right. I mean I like I like my body. I'm fine with my body. But I've never like uh, I, I've never been as lithe as I wish I had been or could be. Right. Um, I've never been as tall or had as much range of motion as I would prefer. And I mean, I'm I'm five ten, and I'm, let's just say, over 185 pounds, um, somewhere around because I stopped weighing myself, so I'm not quite sure. But um, I'm not. I'm by no means a thin man right and i'm by no means a gaunt or or uh or tall man but i am it's what i got right it's what i have and for a very long time i i didn't i didn't know how to use it i'm finally i think using it better than i ever have before i'm there's more to learn and there's more to do but and i will as i'm i turned 34 this year and I was afraid <clears throat> when I turned 28 or 29. So are you 83 then? What? If you turned 34, you were born in 83? Yeah. Oh, so we're the same age. I'll yeah. be I'll be 34 in October. Oh, uh, September 1st. Oh, awesome. Yeah. All right. So um, I thought you were asking if I was the age of 83. I thought your <laughs> math is really whacked. No. What did I say wrong? Yeah. No, um, I was really afraid that 28, 29, that there was a certain shelf life in the yeah. mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is because White Elephant stemmed out of me and my my then co-director. Um, we didn't come up through the clubs. We didn't right. come up through. We didn't come up through um, a school. Right. Or we didn't know. I mean, I didn't know the name Dirty Martini for the first several years of my of my burlesque. Wow. And it's not because I didn't do. I mean, I, okay, the first couple of years, probably a year and a half. Probably I went a year and a half without knowing who she was. And it's not because I didn't do the research, but I will also point out that it wasn't as accessible. Right. Um, yes, the internet existed, but the internet's uh, keeping track of burlesque was not as high as it is now. No, it's very different yes. now, yeah. Uh, which I think even Joe Boobs will say because she was one of the curators of a lot of burlesque on the internet. Yeah, for sure. So... And I didn't. I didn't know her name. I didn't know world famous Bob. I didn't know a lot of who I who I look at as my aunts and uncles, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we're technically of different generations, but they're still working. Yeah. They're working more than me. <laughs> and but I but they're also not the new class, as right. it were. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't think I'm quite the new class either. No, I mean there are performers that I've not, uh, and this happens a lot for me. And I think it's also because once you start working. A certain amount of burlesque, you yeah. go see less shows just because you're working you're a busy, lot. You're busy, yeah. Um, but there are performers that I'll have never heard of, and then uh, suddenly they're in every show I'm DJing or yeah. every show that I yeah. see. And it's really interesting to yeah. me. I think because you can also be pretty focused in burlesque and only kind of yeah. exist in one well, world. To that end, I mean, and, and for us, it may be that they showed up out of nowhere, but they've been right. hustling forever. Oh, for sure. Uh, but there are some performers, and it's, it's usually very well deserved. Oh um, yeah, Rudy Valentino yeah. has gotten a whole lot of um, notice. Yeah, I think he's due for a whole lot more. Um, if uh, he does, if he chooses to go into the path of Mister Exotic World, yeah, I think he should be very successful. Um, I, would I agree. think he is one of the most fascinating performers on stage right now. Uh, Tiger Bay is she someone is. who. Really skyrocketed. Oh yeah, and I still don't like. I'll I I I get moments now. I've known Tiger for a long time, but mm. I'll be in a dressing room with her and I'll go, "Oh my God, it's Tiger Bay." I know. No, it's and, been great. And also looking at how her brain works, like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no way I understand how her mind works yet. Every act she makes that's so different from the next, yeah. all of them work. It's like alt linear. Like it, it, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the thread is there. Oh, absolutely. But, um, it's just. It's just incredible. Yeah. Like I've seen her Carl Sagan act probably yeah. five or six times, and I could uh, keep watching. My it. favorite thing as I saw that act at, when it was first a Google set. Yeah. I saw when it was when it oh, made wow. that transition. She did it for D twenty. Yeah. And uh, t- for to to see it go from that it, again, of it's course. really neat. It's yeah. really neat. But then that took. A year, of course, and yeah. then um, some of the like qualms galore. Yes. Have been working a considerably uh, lower number of times than than others, 
but nails it. She is knows incredible. What she's doing. Yeah, she just steps and, on stage and yeah. consumes and then, the room. And then there are, there are shows like I yeah. love working with Switch and Play. Sure, I love working with Beef Show. Yeah. Um, I love. I enjoy. I very much am glad that I have gotten the chance, especially this year. Although I've known them, uh, to work with Buddy Buxom yep. and Anya Keister and Matt Knife mm-hmm. and and all of these, um, uh, Sweet Lorraine, all these curators of really great shows that yeah. are that are diverse but not pandering. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it comes off very genuine. Yeah. So. I mean, Bunny's another one where I'd known Bunny for a while. Mm-hmm. I've been friends with Schaefer for a long time. And, you know, I met her, and she was great from the moment I met her. And then, like, within a few performances, I was like, she, I could see her curating her own show. And then within a She's very short like, period of time. now. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, but I could never think, now that I think back, I can't imagine a time when she wasn't producing. And I know there was. I'm sure there was. Yeah. But she's just such a natural yeah. producer that I feel like, and she has such a variety of shows. Yeah. I just, well, I mean, it seems that, natural. I mean, we had a lot of, we've had a lot of really great producers who have stepped away from that, at least yeah. on a regular basis. Femme Appeals, Kitty Nights, yeah. I know was incredibly influential for yeah. a lot of performers and a lot of Absolutely. really great performers who are now just missed it. Yeah. Um, I only got a chance to do it twice before, before it ended. I only saw it once before it ended. <clears throat> it was incredibly influential yeah. Yeah. to um, Lower East Side, New Overlesque. For sure. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And She's another performer who, like, when I'm in the same show as her, I'm just like, holy crap, it's Femme Appeals. She's extraordinary. She is one of the most modest individuals that I know. Yeah. She knows she's good. I'll yeah. give her that. Yes. She's modest, but she's not stupid. <laughs> yes. She knows she's good. <laughs> and she knows what she's doing. And I have never seen her half-ass it. Never. Like, and even in a time when you think, like, that can't be planned, for sure, it absolutely is. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And I mean, but there's also, uh, there's also um, an energy to performances where I know yeah. that they are not strict. She allows mm-hmm. herself to go with the moment. Yep. And the only times I really see her like sweat, like like be, feel challenged, is when she knows she is with from point A to point B in this performance, um, really um, stuck. Yeah. She can't miss a cue where she has to go with this. Yeah. Uh, there are very few that she puts herself in that position. Yeah. Uh, she was in a couple of scripted shows. Yeah. And she said that really made her sweat. Yeah. Just to make sure because she's also she. Part of her her charm is that she cares a lot about the people she's working with. Yeah, she's absolutely. Very, she's a very giving performer. Yep. So the last thing she wants to do is fuck up so that it fucks somebody else up. Sure. So, and then, so, t- so with all of that, um, in terms of creating acts like what you saw, I did every yeah. time. Yes. By Britney Spears for Rabbit Hole. Um yeah, I probably should have mentioned that oh, at the very beginning. Uh, Sorry, see, buddy. Uh, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> I, I will fill that gap again. That's, that's one of my things. Um, so with Rabbit Hole, um, I was asked by Bunny to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, and I and was very upfront about it that I did not have something yet, but that I would come up with something because I was confident that I would come up with something. Um, and I did. I came up with, with that. And every time, it was not a song that I think many people were expecting. Right. Because I think I was the only sad song of the night. You were, actually. Everything else was high energy, yeah. fast-paced. And it was almost like going back to my roots. Uh, when I first started um, performing under under the name Victor Devon, I did a lot of ballads. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of, of slower material. Um, I was going through some stuff at the time. <laughs> you don't say. I well, you know, uh, it was it was it was still good. I have to say, I was I'm very proud of of what I was able to get through on stage, but I sort of painted myself into a corner as like the sad performer, right? And and it's funny because again, with my face or with the the makeup or what have you, I would come off probably to most people as because I don't think of myself as a scary clown. And I don't think of myself as a sad clown the way I paint. I don't paint my myself to look those ways. Right. So, but I also don't think that I paint myself to look very happy necessarily either. Right. But um, I think I paint my face to to give myself range. Yeah. Depending, I mean, uh, depending on the act. Some some acts require more makeup than others. Uh, makeup choices than right. others. Um, but for, for initially, I I did a lot of sad stuff. I did one of my signature acts that I had 
within the first five years, uh, a song called Jar of Hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a song that Christina Perry sings. Yep. Uh, it got some notice, I think, because it was on one of the dance shows. I think it was on So You Think You Can Dance. And I heard the song actually not through So You Think You Can Dance. I, I think um, a friend of mine, my co-director at the time, I think suggested the album to mm-hmm. me. And I listened to it, and then I kept, I just kept hitting repeat on that on song. It. And I was in a um, the mode of healing after a bad breakup. Right. Um, the most the most serious relationship I had been in at that point had just come to an untimely, or in some opinions, timely end. Right. And there was, uh, and I didn't feel the way that that the character of that song felt. Because this person was still very prominent in my life. Right. And that song, it's sort of like, I just got over you and now you're suddenly back. Right. And you don't get to have, you don't get to get me back. Right. Um, So I had to take myself into a different direction character wise. How, not only how can I do this without being a, a sobbing, heaping mess. Right. To, I don't identify with it directly. So how do I still make this organic and feel realistic? Uh, and I'll also, how do I make it? Entertaining, right? But entertaining in the same way that sometimes we go to movies that make us cry, and we know they're going to make us cry. Right. That's still entertainment. That is true. Um, we know Fantine's going to die. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. But, yeah. Well, it's but, like every Pixar movie I've ever seen, I would cry at some point. It's like yeah. you know, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So, um, so I created the act, and it's it's hard act. I mean, it's on YouTube. If you if you Google Victor Devon with a K, uh, Jar of Hearts, I believe it is still on YouTube. Um, and that was probably the most um, authentic act that I created at the time. But it was sad as hell, and no one yeah. wanted to cut. No one wanted to follow it in a show. Right. Of course. And again, because I didn't, we didn't know differently. I don't want to say we didn't know better, but we didn't know differently. White Elephant didn't start off hosted all that often. Right. Um, we we are, I mean, I hosted the first couple shows and then I realized, well, I could host or we could just do more acts because we have a finite amount of time. We have this many performers. Let's just cram as much show into it as we can. So we did it what we called scene style. So every act was like a new short play. Oh, interesting. So they would go right into each other. So, so there'd be no happen. introduction of the performers. Not a one. There'd be a program. Interesting. There'd be a program. Oh, there'd be a program. That's yeah. actually really interesting. Yeah. Because, again, that's just what we thought we'd do. Right, we came sure. from, we, I mean, me and my co-director, and I should say her name, her name is uh, Femfela Butch, and mm. she is no longer performing. Okay. Um, but she created White Elephant with me mm-hmm. and is uh, instrumental to the development of White Elephant Burlesque. And I'm very glad that we did that. We came together and we made White Elephant happen while she is no longer directly involved in the making of White Elephant. Through she and my laying of the groundwork and the first several substantial five years, um, we couldn't be where we are now. So I, I owe her quite a bit for that. And I'm very much aware of that. And I've spoken to her about this a lot, but she, um, no longer performs. But um, the the scenes were sort of constructed to sort of either be individual five-minute plays right. or what have you, or five-minute character studies or or what have you, mm-hmm. and then sort of put them all together in, right. one big, in one big thing. And so when I did host, I never... I think one of the reasons that I didn't like hosting is because I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Um, I had just come off of spending most of my stage time lip-syncing. Right. Um, I had no personality to speak of. Um, while I enjoyed talking, I tried too hard, and the audience knows when you're trying too hard. And yeah. the problem, worst thing is that not only does the audience know, you know too. And, yeah. you, and you, it's sort of like a waking dream where you can see yourself <laughs> crashing. Yeah. But like I would look at my notes, and I had, I had to get every line exactly right, and oh, God. Yeah. But So I stopped. And I, I mean, I used to also have an accent. Like I used to talk with like a faux British Germanic accent because I thought huh. I had to. I didn't. I didn't know. I was so rigid, and like I had to. We had to. Not only that, but we had to use. Um, well, we didn't have to, but I, I liked the idea of using real names as character name, real name as character. Sort of treating it like we were. Uh, yeah, like we were players. theater. Yeah. And that just didn't work out. And every character was supposed to have a backstory. And I was so specific about it, and it just didn't work out. And the more I tried to, 
to sort of um, make it as as rigid as tight as I could, it just wasn't coming out right. Yeah. So the minute I I let it freeform, or let it organically come come out, suddenly I was doing better work. And then when I started doing club shows, I said, well, I could not host, but that seems really silly. I want people to know not only that. I'm responsible for what's on the stage, but then I, I stand by it. Sure. And that I'm really, really proud of the people I get to work with because no one is telling me what to do. Yeah, you're telling you what yeah, to do. Yeah, I am extraordinarily lucky that Eric and Jason and the people at Rock Bar let me put on a show. They don't tell me who to cast. Yeah. They don't tell me what types of performances to cast. Um, they didn't bat an eye when I said I wanted it to be all genders. They did not have a problem when uh, we had a, uh, when Essence Revealed did her Black Lives Matter act. That act is so, yeah. like we were talking about acts that you know someone's working out something on stage and yeah. it's designed to make people feel uncomfortable and feel, yeah. or at least feel things, understand, yeah. learn. I think, I think what it is is it's, I don't know if it's necessarily meant to make people feel uncomfortable. It is to expose that people are already uncomfortable. Well, right. Yes. Yeah. It, it's more that there is such an inherent power in yeah. that act. It's a lot of pain. Yeah. It's a lot of pain. And I, yeah. I saw it the first time at, uh, at um, oh, I don't even remember what show I saw it at now. But whatever show I saw yeah. it at, it was The Closer. And literally yeah. when she came off stage, it was silent. Yeah. That was that was, that was That was, I had to decide... When it's acts like that, I had to decide where I wanted to put it in the set list. And yeah, that ended up being before intermission. Yeah, because I needed we needed a, we needed a palette. Yep, we needed a change. Uh, but I also didn't want to blow right past it either. Like I didn't yeah. want it to seem like okay, and now <laughs> here's some here's here's a housewife with her cupcakes. Like I didn't want it to be. Um, I didn't want to downplay it. So, and I'm very glad that I get to have a show where I can include something like that. For sure. Um, I can include performers who have very relevant acts that I, I want people to see themselves on stage. I've yeah. said that for a, a while now. And that is that is my goal, is that I when I see a show, I don't necessarily have to... It's the reason I like certain musicals or certain TV shows, yeah. certain movies, because I identify with it. Of course. I don't want to watch something I can't identify with. And the hope is that I can then bring performers who are coming from their own process and are responsible for their own work mm -hmm. and entertainment and have that audience identify with it and no, have yeah. them really see it. I think that's important, too. I think putting yourself into what you present and yeah. what you support and yeah. what you work on is really powerful. Yeah. And then I get, I get the, the benefit of working every week. Because that's the thing, is that every week I'm also on that stage. Right. And, yeah. you know, I think that finding a gig in the arts where you can work regularly is damn near impossible these days, unless it's all you're doing. Yeah. And you put 100% into it. And unfortunately, depending on who you are, like I know personally, I can't pay the bills on DJing. I wish I could. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. And so it's a, a, a thing I do. And I'm as I'm hosting more and becoming more invested in other aspects mm -hmm. of burlesque, Maybe it's something I can eventually branch out on. I, I've already said that I definitely want to take a boylesque class at some okay. point. Just to learn to, I think, understand myself better. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think it would be fun, if nothing yeah. else. Like, I, you know, if I can't seriously get behind myself, I can laugh at myself. And either way, yeah. I think it's, an, it's a way to learn. And I think that's something that I'm thankful for the burlesque industry and the nightlife industry is that it's taught me a lot about myself. I would absolutely say that I have learned a whole lot about who I am as a person through all of the elements on stage, off stage, checking emails, responding to emails, yeah. my responsibilities. I mean, it's it, you can be you can produce ten years and really suck at it. So yeah. I don't want. I mean, people people are generally fairly impressed that that is a thing. Yeah. But I don't have to be good to do that. Yeah. Um, I like to think that I'm pretty good at it. I like to think that because I am working with people that are that are receptive to it and are good. Yeah. But I mean, I didn't. I admit, I've never, I've, I've never actually taken a boylesque class. Uh, I know, uh, but some people don't is, need to. I feel well, like it's something I would. I took. And it's funny. I've, I have many acting classes under my belt. I took sure. entire entire uh, uh, semesters, as it were. Um, I had a acting theater conservatory. Uh, several year lessons uh, in, in New Jersey. 
And so I, and even though they were, they were topics or, or like I did monologue Mm -hmm. and I remember my instructor saying, well, I don't know that she wanted to know specifically what I was, cause she knew I performed as, as a burlesque performer and she wanted to know what I was uh, hoping to get out of it. And I said, well, I want to feel more comfortable on the microphone for one thing. Mm -hmm. And even though monologues are structured and you have to get every word right, I want to just, I just want to feel comfortable with my voice coming out. Of course. Um, because there was a time when, because I was holding in a whole lot of secrets or a whole lot of fear or a whole lot of uncertainty, uh, up to and including my queerness, mm-hmm. that I didn't talk about a lot of things. And then I one of the major reasons that I got involved in, in pop culture and Hollywood and tabloids and all of that was because it was something I could then talk about at the dinner table. Right. It was something that I could then chime in as yeah. as a six year old. And at that point they thought it was charming. Sure. That this six year old actually cares this much about <laughs> I don't know, the 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 cross burning in the like a prayer video. <laughs> like the fact yeah. that like, cause I would watch MTV and right. I would and I would just suck it all up. And yeah. I would and I would watch a current affair. Yeah. And I would just take it all in and then I'd be able to regurgitate it. Uh, I I took I I was and I still am fascinated by a lot of like behind the scenes things sure. like I just finished watching Feud on FX. Oh cool! With, uh, I've heard good things with yeah. Betty and Joan. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah, it's probably all bullshit, but it's <laughs> excellent. It is well 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 done bullshit if if it is. But um, but I I like that. And then the second I was able to actually feel comfortable talking about myself, which is something admittedly I still struggle with. Sure. Um, it just comes out. And yeah. then I feel more. Be- I feel better about it. And then monologue also informs the way that I'm. Spe- it may not be two and a half minutes of spoken word, right. but that hopefully will translate into four and a half minutes of of body work. Right. It's still the same thing. Sure. And I mean, it doesn't have to be. Right. But what I do does. Right. What I do does. And I think even successful quote unquote gown and glove acts. Yeah. You still have an idea of who they are. Of course, absolutely. Whether you're Gilda or Mary Magdalene, I think <laughs> I think you're you're making choices that inform how the audience perceives you. Yeah, and therefore how much they want to give you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Um, for one, because I've always we've only gotten to see each other in passing over the last few years, and I hope that I do get to see you more and come to White Elephant more. Um, yeah. But um, it was a pleasure having you on the show and getting to know you a little better. I'm looking forward to working with you in the future, however that takes shape. Thank you. Um, Before we wrap up, is there some shows you want to promote coming up? This will be out three weeks from when we finish recording here today. Um, So is there anything? You mentioned your May uh, May 3rd Star Wars show. Yeah, we have a a Star Wars show on May 3rd that will be at Rock Bar. Mm -hmm. Um, I also am very excited to say that Bambi the Mermaid invited me to produce at Coney Island. Very cool. I will be there August 19th. Excellent. Uh, what, uh, we Burlesque at the Beach will be there. All beach-themed acts? It's actually probably not. What okay. we're probably going to do is we're probably going to do um, a fairly typical white elephant show, but acts that we can't really fit in a bar. Okay, cool. Because of spatial concerns. Right, sure. Um, I have a feeling that it will be uh, some acts that are, because I already know who was booked for it. And I have a feeling that they're going to say, well, can I do this and this? And I'll be like, I think we can finally swing that. This yeah. <laughs> I think we can. There's a lot more nice. that we can uh, get away with and Coney. Very cool. Um, and then we have, I mean, we are a weekly show. Uh, I'm very excited to say that um, Lux LaCroix will be back in town. So she's scheduled for, her. for several. She's wonderful. Um, Lillian Bustle will be guest hosting. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Her, I found out, my wife knew her from her muggle days. Mm -hmm. And then, like, we were at a show together, and they just saw each other. Like, oh, my God, it's you. And then I was like, wait, how do you know Lily? Yeah, I would say, um, while I've been very uh, self-involved with my own work in New York and and getting my shit together there, uh, I feel feel a little... um, uh, like like a parent who's not home a lot enough yeah. uh, for New Jersey and Lillian Bustle is holding it down in Jersey City right now. She's she's she is there it. every month with Speakeasy Burlesque and I'm in Jersey City and she's really nailing it. Vivi Noir it. does uh, shows in Dunellen mm-hmm. and there's there's still and I'm hoping I have I have a, a show in June at Roxy and Dukes in Dunellen and I'm hoping that that becomes a regular thing as well. Cool. But I'm no longer, like, like I said, at 28, I kept looking and feeling like I was running out of time. And You don't feel that I, way anymore. Well, that's not, I wouldn't go that far. But I am, <laughs> I am allowing myself to take in what I can at one time. 
I'm trying very hard to not stress out about the future because it's going to happen whether or not. Very cool. Well, that, that, but it's great to hear that you're doing all that stuff and that yeah. you've kind of reached well, that place. Because it might as well happen with me. Right, exactly. <laughs> I agree. Um, well, the the last thing I'll ask is to do me a favor. Um, we have a saying. So uh, this this podcast was born out of my music podcast. Yes. And so I created a really stupid saying years ago that's now become my shtick. And your, it's your send-off? My send-off, which is music is life and life is good. So I would love for you to send us off into that good night with our saying, please. This is Victor Devon and music is life. Life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.